0: Good morning. Good morning. Music is really powerful, isn't it? So are our kids. Little kids can just have their way with us. Uh, I want to continue in the series that we have been in at our church, uh, completely happy looking at the book of Philippians, the way, the truth, and the happy life. I want to read to us our verse for this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to ask uh, this question this morning Can you be happy if you are not happy? How important is the you part in you being happy? How important is the person compared to external circumstances? And I want to suggest to you that I think the single most important factor in anyone's happiness is the person. It's not so much that something is making you happy, but it's really about your capacity to be happy. God is working in me. He's working in you. And that work is what allows us to show up and how we show up how we show up determines what happens next more than any other factor who you are your character your capacity your attitude your gratitude etc these things determine more than any other factor your happiness so here are some uh, ridiculously uh, unnecessary statements Unhappy people are unhappy. Just think about how deep that is. Okay, ready? Boring people are bored. So next time your kids say, I'm bored, you say, well, only boring people are bored. Okay? Unteachable people don't learn. Here's a really good one. Ungrateful people are not grateful. Sad people are sad. You guys are good. Okay? Passionate people bring passion. That's right. So today's goal, the goal of today's sermon is defocus other people. Defocus circumstances, defocus external factors, and focus on you. Okay? So we have two points today. One, we're gonna aim askew, and second, we're gonna aim high. Application and conclusion, and we'll be done. Aim askew. The book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, has 104 verses in the whole book. The word Jesus appears 51 times in these 104 verses. This is a New Testament density record. The word joy in these 104 verses appear 16 times. This also is a New Testament density record. The other word that keeps on appearing, commenters, all commentators point out, is the word you. For example, in verse 6, God is working. Where is he working? In you. Verse 9, Paul says, your love is to abound. He says, you have more knowledge. You have more discernment. You have your mind renewed. You be made into a discerning person verse 10. He says, you being able to approve excellent things. He says, you being sincere. He says, you be blameless. Verse 11, you being filled with the fruit of righteousness. You is a huge and significant part of the equation But here's the thing about you and happiness. You can't aim directly at happiness and hit it. The science of happiness and I think the theology of happiness tells us if you want to hit happiness, you have to aim askew from it. If you aim directly at happiness, you're not going to get there. Uh, The author named Sarah Lewis writes about what she calls the archer's paradox. She took up archery, and the hardest thing, she says, for archers to learn is that in the world of archery, the greatest challenge is learning how to aim properly. And if you can aim properly, you can hit your target. But here's the paradox about aiming and archery. If you want to hit the target, You have to aim askew from the target. Because there are forces at play such that if you aim at the target and you release your arrow, is the arrow going to hit the target? It's not going to hit the target. And so it's a paradox and it's very counterintuitive. And that's the whole training. is to teach you to be confident when you aim askew from the target. That's the archer's paradox. So if you are trying to hit happiness, you have to aim elsewhere. And here, the book of Philippians is telling us, first and foremost, in order to hit happiness, you have to aim not at happiness, but you have to aim at you. Another way to say this, I was talking to a tennis pro friend of mine. And his favorite player of all time is Roger Federer. He says, what sets Roger Federer apart from all other tennis players is that he is always aiming for mastery rather than success. What's the difference between mastery and success? If your target is success, you have to aim not at success, But at mastery, mastery focuses on things like quality and form and function and its values for its own values' sake. It aims at beauty. Success, on the other hand, doesn't care about these things as long as there is popularity, as long as there is likability care not about the values but you care more that you are valued you care about popularity and demand if i want to be a good preacher i don't aim at being liked by you i aim at the craft of preaching of communicating i spend time in ways that are indirect to the performance of preaching indirect to the result of preaching i'm aiming at the work itself. I work the job. I work the role. And if I focus on that, I give myself a higher chance of actually hitting success. You don't aim at success. You aim at mastery. You don't aim at happiness. You aim at God's work in you because you are the single biggest factor in this equation of happiness and often when work is being done on you it doesn't make you happy and you want to quit you want to listen to your voices and your instincts and your impatience and your lack of faith and your doubt and you say things like i'm done this is ridiculous i didn't sign up for this i quit and if you do that You can't hit happiness. God isn't saying religious people are fundamentally unhappy. So if you want to be religious, you have to be unhappy. He's saying the key to happiness is you. You being a happy person. It's not some work or someone is going to complete you. It's I want you to be made complete. You bring the completion. She doesn't complete you. He doesn't complete you. Your job doesn't make you happy. You bring happiness to your job. Mike Rowe talks about this. He is the host of Dirty Jobs. And he says the happiest people he's ever met, he met on Dirty Jobs. He asks the question Do you know why? It's because their jobs are miserable. And so it filters out all the people who weren't already happy. If you are succeeding at a quote unquote dirty job, you have brought the happiness. You have brought the passion. You don't go looking for your passion, you don't go following your passion. You bring the passion. You are already a person capable of passion. You care, you're diligent you already love because you are a loving person not because they're lovable or because they deserve it you're gracious you're generous you're patient you're attentive that's already you for me the the single best example i can offer any church who knows susie and i is who's a happier person susie or peter who complains more Who's got the critical eye? Who's more accepting, more absorbent, more even-keeled? Whose happy quotient is like at an eight or a nine? And whose is at like a six or a seven? Who goes more up and down? Now, if I go to Susie and say, Susie, I need you to make me happy. Does that sound ridiculous? Yeah, and that's what we do. We keep looking to things outside of ourselves for happiness the single best contribution that the science of happiness and there are lots and lots of people who've been studying happiness they tell us the single most important insight about what unlocks happiness is the happiness quotient it's the number that you bring so if you're like a seven Life throws you a curveball. It brings you down to a four for a while. But within six months, guaranteed, you're going to go back up to your happy quotient. And if you were at like a five and something brought you up to a nine, guaranteed within a few months, you're going to go back down to your original number. Because external factors, unless they're changing you internally, cannot create Or sustain happiness in our lives that's the problem that we bring us with us wherever you go there you are even the declaration of independence says that we have the right to what happiness nope we have the right to pursue happiness pursue what do you think about that how are you doing How do you pursue happiness? What does that pursuit look like? The science of happiness, those people talk about affective forecasting. You know what that is? That's describing our sheer inability to predict what will constitute our own happiness. We are terrible at predicting what will make us happy. In fact, look back and think about the last several times you experienced spurts or bouts of happiness, and you'll see those things were surprises, things you didn't plan for. Because we're terrible at it. We're terrible at affective forecasting. Tim Keller, one of my favorite teachers, says this, I'm an old man now. I can look back on my life and see that I've been wrong most of the time. And I'm old enough to not only see it, but admit it. If God had granted me everything I've asked of him, I would be dead. In fact, I can calculate that about 75% of the time I was wrong, and about 24% of the time I got lucky. Some of you math whizzes said, hey, there's 1% left. What's that for? (laughs) That's the 1% you're right. That's what he's saying. Philippians tells us throughout the book that a happy self is a complete or perfect self. Same word there. And God's work in you doesn't make you happy. It creates character capable of happiness this is this is a really hard lesson i don't like this news but what if you ask god for happiness and what if his only real answer that he can give to you is going to take time what if it's going to be a process you know a journey And what if for a lot of the times during that journey, it just doesn't look like happiness is at all on the horizon? It seems like that's not what God cares about. But what if he does? What if he himself is a happy God? What if he's not miserable? What if he is filled with joy? And he says, I want you to be just like me because I've made you in my image and I'm going to I'm going to be in this for the long haul with you. I'm going to work in you. I care about your happiness. Look at verse 11. You see that little word fruit? It's another way to talk about this idea of a skew. If you want fruit, do you aim at fruit? Is that the thing you do? You go out and you aim at fruit. What does aiming at fruit look like? If you want to hit fruit, if you have a fruit tree, you want fruit, what do you do? You focus not on the fruit. You focus on the work. What's the work? Caring for the plant, right? Make sure there are nutrients. Make sure there's enough water. Make sure it's got the right pH in the soil, the right minerals. It's getting sunlight. It's, getting, uh, it's protected from predators, You do all these other things that in all honesty don't look like they have anything to do with fruit at the time. What does killing slugs have to do with fruit? And then at the end, what do you have? Fruit. This is how happiness works. Sweet, delicious, amazing fruit happens when you aim askew from it. Aim high. God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, whenever you think about God's work in you, one of the Uh, liabilities of thinking about this is you think it's about you. God's working in me. 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 It's all about me. You. Nope. Look what it says again. God who began, okay, so it is God working in you, who began the good work within you, will continue his work. That's good. He's still focused on me until what? It is Finally finished, because he finished working on you? Nope. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. The finish, the final finish to you is Jesus Christ. You got to see that in there. It's not like he makes you perfect apart from everything else. It's not like you're this final finished product contained within yourself. That's not completion. He says, God's working in you, getting ready to finish you. The way it's going to finish is Jesus is going to show up. Meaning, whatever you are, whoever you are, God's original intent and design for you is to be like Jesus. And the way you're going to be like Jesus is Jesus is going to come and he's going to fill you. You're going to hide behind him, and he is going to be your identity and your definition. Finally, the image of Christ is not going to be obscured. It's going to be him shining through. You are going to be an empty vessel filled with Christ. You're going to be a reflection of Christ. You are an image Bearer of Christ. In fact, you and I, we don't exist so that we can be perfect in and of ourselves, but we exist to display Christ's perfection, his splendor, his majesty, beauty, and glory. Peter's song by himself will never be complete. He will always be insufficient. I will never, ever, ever reach my existential apex until Christ returns. He is my finish, my completion, my perfection. It's this idea that all this focus on me, work on me, is actually to decrease me and to increase Christ. The problem I have is that there's too much of me. I am off balance, off kilter. I was designed by God to be an empty vessel. Right now, I'm filled with crap. Nonsense about myself. My problem is that I'm self-conscious, self-focused, and God's work in me is actually to hollow me out so that he can fill me with what I was meant to be filled with. What would it be like if you went to a coffee shop, you order coffee, and they just hand you an empty cup? That's not complete. It's the coffee. The coffee is the whole point. It's why the container exists. It's why we find beauty in the container in the first place. And that's all of us meant to hold Christ. That's the definition of us feeling fulfilled and satisfied and overflowing with joy. It's Christ overflowing. You want to be a loving person? It's not going to be your love. You want to be patient? It's not going to be your stuff that the world is clamoring for or even you experience satisfaction from. But it's going to be Christ. Less ego. Less self-focus. Less insecurity. Just less. Just the right amount of you is less of you. (laughs) Uh, Abraham Maslow, you've heard me mention him before. I've written about him in the loop as well. Uh, he's the first guy to come around, and he published a paper in the 30s uh, saying, you know, people aren't crazy. They're not just doing stuff, but they have basic needs that are not met. And he helped define what human needs were. And he gave us Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the very, very bottom, the most basic need, he said, is sustenance. you got to eat you got to sleep. you got to care for your physiological self. And then above that is safety. you got to feel secure. Like things aren't going to suddenly get bad. You need walls. You need protection. That's safety. And right after that is love and belonging. Once you have sustenance, once you have safety, you look for emotional needs to be met. And once emotional needs are met, then you can now finally begin to feel a little bit better about yourself. You begin to feel okay. Self-esteem. And once you have self-esteem, he says you can begin to ask the question, who am I? That's self-actualization. But here's the thing that most people don't know. Maslow, later on in his life, began to feel that his chart was incomplete because it didn't fit with what his patients or clients were needing he died feeling like there is one more absolutely final stage. The self-actualization is just penultimate, but the ultimate stage is what he came to call transcendence. Once your belly is full, once you're safe, once you, are, uh, you have love and belonging, once you have self-esteem, and then you self-actualize, the final form of you is you transcending yourself and coming to a place where you experience the joy, the rightness of giving yourself away. The final goal after self-actualization is giving that self-actualized self away to things bigger and greater even than the self-actualized self. Christianity, I think, aims to meet all the levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For example, we know if people's bellies are empty, they can't hear about Jesus, because that's a higher level, right? So we've got to feed their belly first. If you want to have a successful conversation with your child after school, you've got to feed them a snack first, right? How high does it go? What's the final step uh, for humanity, it's not about us. It's transcendence, not self-actualization. I, I think about this, and uh, I've asked this question before, but right now, I actually have an elbow injury. I have some sort of tendonitis or something, and it's constantly pulsating. I feel it. Even when I lift up a cup of coffee to my mouth, I feel a little bit of tinge of uh, feeling in my right elbow. It's drawing attention to itself. But if the elbow were to be working, would it be drawing attention to itself? How, how's your elbow doing? It's fine, right? You don't even know. Because it's giving itself away to a purpose greater beyond itself. Uh, this little uh, mnemonic is helpful for me. Uh, the first phase of human development is self for self's sake. Second is God for self's sake. You're using God for yourself. And then you get into self-denial mode, God for God's sake. But the highest level of maturity is self for God's sake. Where you're not just denying yourself, but you're giving of yourself. You're giving yourself away. Understanding everything was always all about Christ. It was never about you. Not even a happy you. A truly happy you is a you that transcended you onto Christ. Okay, a couple of application points here. I have two questions for us. First is, what are some things you do to resist God's work in you? Um, I went through my own list. Here are some things that I do in category. Uh, One of the things I do is I numb myself. I don't want to feel. That's what numbing is. Sometimes I don't want to numb it. I just want to dull it. I want to feel less. So I numb. I dull. Sometimes uh, I don't want to not feel. I don't want to feel less. I just want to avoid it altogether, so I escape. Another thing I do is I distract. That's when I'm in denial about what's happening. And then one thing I do, and sometimes my heart, I'm aware of what's happening in my heart, I rebel. So these are some things I do to avoid or to resist God's work in me. I numb, I dull, I escape, I distract, and I rebel. And I do this by using substances. I use exercising, And for me, I ingest content. Every time you see me reading like 12 books at a time, I'm not feeling so great. There's a pile of like 17 books on my desk right now. Right? Second question I want to ask is, what are some external factors you're focused on instead of God's work in you? And here is my top four list and category of what I do to focus on besides God's work in me. Number one, I focus on other people or persons. I think about how awful they are, how wrong they are. Okay? I think about all the ways they need to learn and grow and shape up or ship out, right? Uh, I focus on past events. I focus on current events or circumstances, Or I focus on future hopes, things I'm hoping will happen. These are all the ways that I focus, all the things I focus on instead of God's work in me. Let me conclude by reading uh, this passage from Philippians chapter 3. It'll be our prayer for today. I want to ask you to close your eyes with me. And see if you can pray this prayer with Paul. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, which comes from God, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. God, we defocus everything else, focus on you and your work in us, not so that we can continue to be focused on ourselves, but so that we can lose self-consciousness and focus on your work and your view, your love for the world. Thank you for this day, in Jesus' name, amen.